three for a Thursday morning. Join us on Facebook Live if you possibly can, because right now it's ten minutes past ten, and we say hi to Steve Vines. But I'd like to tell you that uh, today is Steve's last appearance on Morning Brew. But have no fear, he's going to continue being a regular broadcaster on Radio 3. Now, as you know, we need to make doubly, doubly sure all of our programmes are balanced and unbiased. So in Steve's current role on Morning Brew, he's a commentator, which is kind of like an opinion piece writer in a newspaper. That is obviously not always possible, but... On Backchat, as a co-presenter on a panel, it absolutely is. So from next Wednesday, you'll be able to hear him doing just that once a week. So, Steve, consider yourself well and truly poached and promoted. Good morning. How's that? <laughs> yeah, good morning and uh, apologies to the listener. But, you know, <laughs> life carries on. It certainly does. <laughs> absolutely it does. What's going on? Well, it doesn't carry on entirely for the election system. And... I don't want to bore everyone because if you're if you're erudite enough to listen to Morning Brew, you'll be well aware of say what's it, going on. <laughs> yeah, I mean that was it in Bertie Commas. <laughs> um, you'll be you'll be well aware of what's going on. All I would say is this: is that to all those people, and let's let's um, call them by their correct name, all those weasels who are saying, "Oh, if only." Hong Kong people have been more cooperative and had agreed to election reforms, hadn't been this, hadn't been that. None of this would have happened. Well, let's be 100% clear why it happened, which is because Beijing had such an enormous shock in 2019 when the Democrats swept the board in the district council election, despite having been reassured by all the quizlings that no such thing would happen because nobody would vote for them, etc., etc. And they then realised that as long as you have the semblance, remember it isn't a fully democratically elected system, but the semblance of an elected, uh, of a freely um, run democratic election system, there was always the danger that the Democrats would win. In 2019, they realised that danger was pressing and the button was pressed to stop it. So what has emerged from that is very clearly a, a, a non-elected system, um, screening out, reduction of seats for, for directly elected councillors, all that whole canopy. Turn the clock back to 2019. Did you in any way see things panning out the way they have, bearing in mind what you've just said? No, no. I, I first of all, I'm I'm absolutely terrible at predicting. So, <laughs> <Mystic> <laughs> <pick>. <laughs> let's start with the obvious. But but I what I what I had thought after the um, election victory of the Democrats in 2019, mm. which remember was at the height of the protest movement. Indeed. What I thought was that obviously there were there was going to be kickback. I thought that it would mainly be seen in the form of arrests of Democrats, etc., etc. Well, as over 10,000 people have been arrested, that bit wasn't wrong. Mm. I also thought that, that um, they would actually change the local regime. In other words, they'd get fed up with having the, the chief executive in name only, Carrie Lam in charge. They'd bring in uh, uh, one of their own people, etc., etc. I mean, not that she's not one of their own people, but you know what I mean. But I thought that as far as the election system was concerned, 
it was indeed possible that they would retaliate by by making it less democratic. Hmm. I didn't, frankly, think they would go as far as they'd gone, but, you know, who, who cares what somebody like me thought previously? Those sort of things in the great sweep of history don't matter. And while we're talking about the great sweep of history, um, it is, of course, a fact, and, and, and I can say this without qualification, that any regime which dismantles a free election or a partially free election system is a regime that in, at the end of the day manifests its own inevitable insecurity, inevitable fear of the people, and to put it more bluntly, dislike of the people. Because what they're saying is, you can't elect who you want to elect because basically we don't trust you and we don't like you. This is the signal that's being sent. And no end of weaselly comment can get round that basic message which is being delivered at the moment. So I, I assume, incidentally, and now I'm going back into prediction land, but yeah. I, I assume that the next election, you know, the one that was fictitiously postponed because of the coronavirus and is now being postponed again, they're not even using that fictitious excuse. What they're trying to do is wait until they've got a system so sufficiently rigged that Democrats can't win it. I assume what will happen is that uh, most people won't vote. It's as simple as that. I was wondering about that. Let's turn to our Facebook Live feed. Colin, good morning. He says, Steve Vines last week on Morning Brew, question mark, 1st of April. Uh, it is the 1st of April, Colin, but the first part of your question is absolutely correct. Yep. Uh, moving on, uh, he says, <coughs> different topic, Steve. He says, subdivided flats, is it not time to abolish them? They're inhumane. Provide proper public housing. Take a look at Singapore's public housing. Let's bring Singapore in. It's almost like Godwin's Law, where somebody's going to bring up Hitler. In this case, it's Singapore. What do you got? Well, Colin's quite right. I mean, the, the subdivided flats are a, uh, a, a blot on Hong Kong's landscape of an enormous nature. <coughs> Remember, not only are the living conditions just appalling, you know, mm whole families living in 200 square feet and less in a single room. Those, those are not humane conditions by any stretch of the imagination. And the average cost of one of these um, subdivided apartments, which is, I think, about $5,000, is also about a third of the average wage owned by the people living in those apartments. So they're caught in this vicious poverty trap which they can't get out of. And of course, you know, you, you, you can put all sorts of restrictions on the owners of these apartments, but the ultimate solution is, of course, public housing. C.Y. Learn, who says that, that, that housing is now the priority, blah, blah, blah. Let's not forget that during his infamous time in office, the waiting list for public housing doubled. The waiting list remains stubbornly high. The possibility that the average person in Hong Kong has of buying a property is very low indeed. Mm. And relief, the only possible relief is by having an expanded um, public housing program. And, you know, they talk big and act little. This is the consistent pattern. And those who talk biggest, Mr. Learn, we know your name, are the people who've acted least. So let's 
not keep listening to what people say and pay a little more regard to what they do. Mm. Well, thanks for that, Colin. Wonder if you've got a few more thoughts yourself. You know where to put them if you have. It's interesting that it often comes down to these issues about the poorest people in our society, and so so it should, I guess. You know, the one fifth of the population that lives below the poverty line. This is a eternally damning statistic, uh, a number that has increased since the pandemic. Let's not ever forget that because it's a it's a blot on Hong Kong. It's an enormous blot on Hong Kong. Um, shameful blot on Hong Kong. Mm. He does carry on, Steve. He says, from, he says, as per SCMP, four people living in 80 um, square feet, 80, he says, at 4,000 Hong Kong bucks a month, cooking two metres away from the toilet. I mean, um, you know, we, we've all seen the pictures and the horrible... And they, wonder, and they wonder why there is a fast spread of the coronavirus in these semi-divided apartments. Gosh. Who can tell what the reason for that is? Mm. And remember, this is the government that had squillions to spend on national security, on beefing up the police force, and would only allocate, let's never forget this figure this year, would only allocate $1.5 billion, Mm -hmm. which in public spending terms is nothing, to improving conditions in these subdivided apartments. So yet again, big talk, very little action. Mm. What do you think? I mean, what would you like to see happen? Let's put the let's put the happy hat on for a sec. Well, I think the happy hat is that they simply, <coughs> as you remember that phrase that that, that that was also a mockery of government. Act now. Yeah. Act now. <laughs> that was a biggie. Wasn't Clear it? the land, build the houses, <laughs> expand not only the public housing system but the home ownership scheme, which is a very important part of that. Remember, that moves people from public housing into the possibility of owning their own properties. Mm-hmm. So you reduce the housing list, you put people on the property ladder in a very substantive way. There's no excuse. There is no excuse at all for this not happening at greater speed. Hong Kong has the money. It has the know-how to do this, and it needs to be done. I mean, people who talk about this sound like a broken record. Because it's never done. That's why people keep talking about it. It's that simple. Yeah, it's important. That's why they keep talking about it. All right, then, moving on, what else you got in the news? Well, I just alluded very briefly to the um, question of the virus. Now, where are we now? Yes, please. All (laughs) all, um, vaccine... We we still have a, a terribly slow rollout of the vaccine. Why is that? Because... And this, something is not right here. And I can't put my finger on it, but maybe one of our erudite listeners can. Yeah. The, 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 the vaccine with the highest effectiveness, the BioNTech vaccine, is now that program has been stopped because of some faulty packaging problems. Nothing to do with the virus, it's, uh, with, the, with the vaccine itself. Yeah. Faulty packaging problems in one lot. Now, you remember what happens in Hong Kong. With Sinovac, the least effective, the still untested vaccine uh, in terms of fulfilling international requirements for verification, which the Hong Kong government actually wants everybody to take and has resulted in, we don't know what, because as soon as a death occurs after um, being inoculated with Sinovac, as soon as an illness occurs, the medical experts the next day are able to say, this has nothing to do with the vaccine. With BioNTech, 
where it's a question of packaging. It's not next day response. It's been more than a week. Maybe they'll resume next week. We don't know. I mean, there's <clears throat> the suspicion lingers that the government is afraid that its patriotic credentials will be damaged if more people demand BioNTech and won't take the Sinovac vaccine. So they're making it as difficult as possible for people to get hold of it. And now there's another question to do with BioNTech. The one, the vaccine that we receive in Hong Kong mm -hmm. is distributed by Fosun, a Shanghai-based company. They are the people responsible for getting it from Germany into the hands of the medical service in Hong Kong. What do we know about Fosan? Have they been responsible for these delivery problems, these packaging problems? Nothing has been said about that whatsoever. And it's, <coughs> excuse me, it's very interesting that remember, BioNTech is a very big vaccine in terms of global distribution. The problems Hong Kong have been experiencing have not been experienced in other jurisdictions. Mm -hmm. So is this to do with the distributor? I don't know. Does anybody know? We had a quite interesting, fairly scientific email about this last week, Steve. Do you remember the guy said what's possible is that in travelling it was it was I think he said uh, I think he said it would have been it travelled too too cold or something, so the stuff would have actually uh, frozen and expanded and popped the glass and stuff. I think that was John who all, wrote last all week. All of the above is possible. Yeah, well, they, but, but remember that when they when they send out these vaccines, there are very explicit instructions. Oh, yeah. by the manufacturer of the conditions for storage, of the conditions for packaging. What we don't know is whether the distributor in Hong Kong, the Shanghainese company, is scrupulously adhering to those instructions. I'm not saying they're not, but I am saying that we don't know. That's true. And it is rather interesting to me that, that BioNTech hasn't experienced this particular problem anywhere else in the world. So what the hell is going on here? The end user now is having an awfully hard time. I mean, between us, we probably know quite a few people that have had their, their vaccinations uh, cancelled you know, over the next few days. I, I personally know someone who's had one jab of BioNTech and well, rather wondering whether, whether I'll be getting another one. So, yes, there are people who are wondering about this. Mm. And I think that what is most worrying about this, and this is really where... Um, you know, we're, the, 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 what's you call it? The tire hits the road. There's a cliche, which I always I know forget. the one you mean. <laughs> yeah. Um, that, that is, what is this doing to confidence in the vaccination system? Because as we know, uh, and this is an undisputed figure, at least 70% of the adult population needs to be vaccinated before you get this herd immunity. Okay. Hong Kong has vaccinated something like 6% of the adult population. We're miles away. We're not even at 10%. We're, we're, we're more like at 5% of the target. And at this rate, the idea that Hong Kong can achieve herd immunity, that Hong Kong can emerge, as it should do, because we have such experience here of pandemics. You know, what we learned from SARS was not insignificant. I've Hong got Kong won't be one of the first places to emerge. It will be one of the last. That's also pretty shameful. You got it. I've got 
liked I like the personal experiences on this particular topic. David, good morning. He said, I guess Steve will come on to this, but I'm one of the 150,000 who've had their BioNTech cancelled and awaiting my second. He says, Steve now covering, but so many are... Uh, so many of us uh, used to see um, this as seen as a political matter. Um, 50 of 500,000.001% so-called damaged. Uh, did see from US research that the first BioNTech vaccine gives more uh, than two jabs of the Sinovac. Interesting. All of that, as far as I know, is, is correct. I mean, Sinovac... Uh, um, has uh, efficacy, right? Remember, it still hasn't gone through the f third phase um, approval process. So we're, we, we, the Hong Kong people, are the guinea pigs for this. Um, but all evidence points to the fact that its efficacy rate is between 50 and 60%, and the efficacy rate of BioNTech is about 95%. You don't need to be a medical genius to work out which of those two vaccines is more is more effective? It's it's simple. Well, right now we seem to have this huge logistics issue, don't we? Because um, you know, David's just one of loads of thousands of people. Who well, it's very worrying if if you've if you've had the vaccine. I, I just think you know I don't want to pose as a doctor here, but I just think there is some reassurance is that even though the schedule is you have a vaccine, then you wait for three weeks to get the second jab. In, in medical terms, as I understand it, you, you could actually wait a lot longer and it would still have the same effect. Mm -hmm. And that's some small insurance. But, but the uncertainty is not a good thing in these uncertain times. Things are quite uncertain enough. And just by the by, just by the by, what else is going on in this cockamamie, politically charged um, battle against the virus? Is the government is focusing all its attention on opening the border with the mainland, whereas people in Hong Kong are absolutely petrified, desperate to go elsewhere in the world. Mm. And they perhaps think that opening the border to the mainland, which after all is the source of this pandemic to begin with, is not the priority that the Sino seems to think it is. Where do you think we are right now, Steve? Because there's talk of loosening things. People, people have been talking about beaches and swimming pools and stuff for ages, and good on them for that. But there's a, there's a feeling that stuff's just being pulled back a little bit. But you always think there's a, a snake that you're going to slide down on that big game of well, snakes I mean, and ladders, don't you? The other big scandal of the way the government has, has um, approached the social distancing element of this is that... that although all the medical evidence says you're far less likely to contract the virus outdoors than you are indoors, and you can quite see why that is. The government, because its overwhelming political objective is to stop people gathering for the purposes of demonstrations, has targeted the outside for having the slowest release of restrictions, so only now are we seeing swimming pools being opened as they will be on Friday? 30, 30%, isn't it? 30%, yeah. I mean, you know, it, it, the idea that, 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 that in, as the weather gets hotter, you've got to keep people off the beaches, etc., etc., is bonkers. It's bonkers because it leads to disrespect for the social distancing system. Mm -hmm. Remember, in Hong Kong, people didn't need to wait for the government to tell them to put on masks. They didn't need to wait for the government to tell them that social distancing was a good idea. People just did it because they understood 
But when you politicize social distancing, as the government is intent on doing, people will not be so cooperative. Right. Sit tight. We are just about to go to the news. So let's do some of this. So, 29 minutes to 10 o'clock, 15 more minutes for real of Steve Fines. What do you got? Well, I think um, the the other thing that's been happening with alarming speed (laughs) in recent days has been this acceleration of attacks on the freedom of expression through culture. So, you know, we hear that exhibits are going to be uh, removed because of their political incorrectness from the M+. Um, museum which uh, modern art which hasn't yet opened we hear that the chairman of the West Carolina Cultural Hub Henry Tang has said that he'll be guided by the police as to what is acceptable and what isn't acceptable to be exhibited we see that you know for the first time since 1969 the Oscars will not be broadcast in Hong Kong because of mainland fury over the fact that a documentary called Do Not Split about the um, protests at the Polytechnic University has been nominated for an international award and they don't like Chloe Zhao, who's an American-Chinese director, so they won't be broadcasting the mainland, it won't be broadcast here. We see today that um, the opening um, film of the Hong Kong International Film Uh, festival has been pulled because it concerns police, well, for technical reasons, they always say it's for technical reasons, but it's a film essentially about police corruption. I can't imagine why that would be objectionable to anybody in the um, authorities. And then you have, of course, all the rest of it. You know, the, the, the general idea of censoring books, of making sure that the Hong Kong Museum of History presents a correct version of history. I mean, the list is sort of endless. Surely it's up to the viewers, um, yeah, yeah, the viewers, to take from these things what they want, what they feel. They're not brainless. Well, I presume people will watch the Oscars through other means. I mean, personally... It's, it's quite funny. Nobody's there like, big deal. What, what about the Oscars? Because yeah, most people I mean, think it's trash but, but, anyway. <laughs> When it forms part of a pattern, that's that's when it yeah, yeah. matters. And what what's interesting about the all authoritarian regimes is the extent of their insecurity, the extent to which they feel challenged by art. Let's just look at one example of um, something which has outraged the usual Peking duck eaters is the, the this photographic artwork by Ai Weiwei, which has a finger being pointed at Tiananmen Square. That same image of a finger being pointed, he has used in other places Mm. like Washington, for example. Do you see the American government being so insecure that they say we're banning all artworks by Ai Weiwei, we mustn't have that particular image displayed in America? The answer is no. He also has it, um, that, that same image in Germany where he's now living, has he been expelled by the German government? Have they said, Ai Weiwei, you're a very smelly and horrible person, you've got to leave the country? No. It's only in places where the government is so insecure that it feels that anything like this challenges its, if you like, its validity, 
or challenges its authority or challenges, I don't know what it challenges, but you know, it's a weakness, it's not a strength to be banning all these things. Mm. So, you know, good luck, I would say. I think a lot of control uh, over the media. I mean, I'm talking on RTHK, which has been had its own fair share of the news on this subject as well. I think a lot of artists get a kick out of their work creating kerfuffle. I mean, they, you know... Ex- oh, oh, of course. I mean, this is, this is what authoritarians don't understand. They think that job done once they banned a piece of artwork. I, like many people, weren't even aware of this particular Ai Weiwei image until it was banned. So, you know, if you want to heighten the profile of a particular piece of artwork, start banning it. I mean, the, the, the formative experience in my mind of this was the extremely turgid book written by um, Salman Rushdie, The Satanic Verses, <laughs> which it, I foolishly went, or, went out and bought. I yeah. can tell you it is a good read. And why did I go out and ban it, buy it? Because the Iranian authorities were busy burning images of Salman Rushdie. And they were saying, you know, this is a book against Islam, blah, blah, blah. Um, honestly, you know, Salman Rushdie, incidentally, is a fine writer. I don't think this is his finest book. Yeah, it's but, his most but, famous, that's for sure. <laughs> Tales of Satanic Verses, and anybody who wants my copy is welcome to it because it's pretty boring, um, soared in the light of these bands. So, you know, often it's completely counterproductive. But, you know, in the world, in that tightly vacuum-sealed world of authoritarian governments, yeah. where the input comes from, you know, the usual bunch of lackeys who go, comrade, you know, well done for banning that book. You've done a great job. You know, you know, we really want to congratulate. In that world, they think, oh, job done. You know, that's put Salman Rushdie in his place. Would you go out and buy a collection of photographs with the artist giving a bird the bird to whatever the subject of the picture is? I don't think I would. Probably not. Probably not. Um, it is of no great interest to me. But on the other hand, I would not advocate stopping other people doing it, which is the crucial point here, I think. Mm-hmm. If you believe in freedom of expression, you believe in the freedom to express things that you don't personally like. I mean, that's what freedom of expression means. It doesn't, you know, honestly, does it challenge, is, is the Chinese state so weak that a single image from Ai Weiwei is going to bring it to its knees? I really, really don't think so. But of course, they can't stop themselves. They're now saying, oh, there's works by a Japanese artists. That costs too much money. What's his offense? Oh, it seems to be that he's Japanese. Oh, my God. That M plus museum has got nudes in it. Nudes? We don't want nudes. I mean, so it goes on. You know, we'll, but this we'll, is this is this is art from the word go. It's it's ruffled people. I mean, and as I said, it, it gives the artist a kick because their job is done. Their job is done. Yeah, you, you know, I mean, you you you. There is no there is no authoritarian regime that hasn't produced its own version of correct art. Remember, the Nazis had Aryan 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 art. The, the the Soviet Union developed this art of socialist realism. They all do it. They all do it. Mm. And what happens to what they produce is very amusing because once these regimes have disappeared, it becomes a a sort of kitsch. So, you know, there's great collections of socialist realism art all over the world, but they're kind of mocking collections. Nobody seriously thinks 
these are great artworks. Yeah. Yeah, well, that's another sort of par for the course thing. They've been doing that again since the year dot. They've been dressing up the messages, dressing up their, um, making fun of authority or whatever in their work. Yeah, I mean, that's what artists do. And as I say, it's only people who are insecure or worried about this. But there you go. These are very insecure people. Like, what can I... I can't help you with that. Well, good luck with, <laughs> good, good luck with getting rid of the satanic verses. P.S. Steve, coda time. A, a quick P.S. Um... My heart goes out to Regina Yip. It really does. <laughs> She's going to sacrifice wearing her oh, Burberry goodness. back and her Burberry. She's not going to throw it away. She says she's just not going to wear it. I mean, you know, in the, in the great litany of human rights problems at the moment, the fact that Regina, in order to try and get the top job in Hong Kong, is sacrificing her Burberry clothing connection, that's very... Oh, it's almost impossibly heartbreaking to me. I, 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 I don't know where to go. I think she should go out and buy a Hugo Boss jacket. Steve Vines, it's been a pressure. Goodbye, and thanks for all the fish.